First, I'm so excited to have my guest and kind of co-star here, right? Because Paradise City is now out on Amazon Prime. It came out March 25th, and it's killing it. Yeah, it's, it's number really one. Well, really well so far. It's fucking killing it, and and I have Andy Black here today, who plays Johnny Faust, the star of this. And I don't know if you guys have seen American Satan, but that was also like kind of, you know. I don't know, kind of like just similar vibe. It's an introduction to the character. To this, yeah, to yeah. who the to the the story. Yeah. And so, um, if you guys aren't familiar, I'm gonna let you tell everyone like kind of like the plot line of exactly what happens sure. in Paradise City. Don't without giving anything away. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's see, without, with yeah. no spoilers. Yeah, no spoilers. Some people talk to each other for 40 minutes at a, at a, at a clip, and yeah. there's eight of those, and that's the whole thing. Uh, and no, that's I, it, that's the show. <laughs> Go uh, watch it. It's a, it's a rock and roll show, which I think is like, the really cool thing about all of this is, as someone who has made my life making rock music, yeah. to have a show that is about the, kind of the, the workings behind the scenes of rock music, and then also just having the opportunity to like fly the flag for hard rock in a world where, it's often not seen by the mainstream as being as, as prevalent as it is. Mm-hmm. It's really cool to have this. So if you're a fan of rock music and you kind of want to see a little bit of like, you know, how the sausage is made, so to speak, right? like the good and bad and the conversations that are had, I mean, your character having these conversations with our manager and all these things, like these are real things that occur all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, it was just really cool. It was also cool not just to make it, but to watch it and see kind of how all the other storylines come together. But yeah, it's a rock and roll show. There's a little bit of magic and mystery in there, um, but yeah, it's it's uh, if you're a fan of rock music, there's a lot of great music. I like this show, is what I'm trying to say. And there's so many good actors in it. Yes, and then also me, and I'm I'm doing okay. So there's a lot of great <laughs> actors, and then someone who's doing an okay job, and you get to watch me do an okay job a lot. In you're the show. so good in it. Stop. It's it's kind of crazy. So like, um, you're in it. Bella Thorne's in it. Cameron Boyce, RIP, yeah. is in it. Was in it right before he passed away, which is incredible. Um, Drea De Mateo, who I love, and I've been so good. With, I've been friends with her forever, and then we both happened to be in it, which was so crazy. And then um, Natalie Eva Marie is in it, and, and who am I missing? There's like so many big people in it. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, Mark Wynn oh, Jr. Faruza. Faruza Balk from The Craft. Yes. If you guys have ever seen the original Craft, Faruza plays the really scary bitch. And also Waterboy. And fucking Waterboy. <laughs> She's in Waterboy. More Boy. iconically Waterboy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's, it's just a great cast, man. I had so much fun. I mean, I play... Um, uh, Reese Corroy's, uh, he's plays your manager. I play his wife, Janice, and it was just a great time. Like I feel and like you guys are so good. Like your dynamic. Uh, my wife Juliet is in, is in the show as well, oh, and we were watching it. Yeah, she plays uh, Shiva, the singer of the Maven, the, the, the female yeah. uh, band. And we were watching it, and we were just like lo- loving the dynamic you yeah. guys have. It's so good because I didn't see any of your scenes apart yeah. from the one that I think we're in one or two together. Yeah. But man, you guys are like nice. some of the best parts of the whole show. He's a really good actor. Yeah. Like I was kind of like, oh, I've done like three indie films before. This, no, you're so excellent. You're so excellent. Fun, but this, by the way, is just us kissing each other's yeah, ass for the whole you're podcast. Good. No, you're yeah. good. Yeah, no, no, you're good. No, you're good. Um, I like to set up a penalty box. <laughs> 
and compliment people everywhere I go. So you can't like, you know. Yeah. It's a nice distance. I love it. I know. Yeah. It's so fucking weird. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so guys, please check it out. It's on Amazon Prime right now. It's fucking killing it. And yeah, like you said, it's it kind of talks about like, you know, it kind of shows the behind the scenes of exactly like what goes on in the industry. And the really interesting thing is that Tom Zutat, who's like one of the producers yeah. of the movie, is who made Motley famous, which is yes. my husband's band, yes. which is so fucking full circle, which is so fucking weird. And I didn't even know until I got to set. Really? And he yeah. came up and he's like, hi, I'm Tom Zutat. And I was like, why do I know that name? And he's like, ask Tommy about me. And I'm <laughs> like, holy fuck. So Tom Zutat works for Electra Records, who discovered yeah. Motley Crue at the fucking whiskey or something. They fucking Yeah, he was came. the A&R guy who exactly. like found them. Yeah. And found them. And it was so crazy because um, Tommy was actually then telling me a story about how then Motley was like, yo, Tom, you got to check out this band Guns N' Roses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Tom went and was like, nah, and passed <laughs> on Guns N' Roses. Oh, man. Dead. Or he, well, or maybe actually he wanted Guns I think Guns ultimately he did sign them, so I don't know did what the derivation was. Did he eventually sign them? But yes, he eventually okay, just was kidding. the guy. So you know more than I do. Just kidding. Um, it's, it's my, yeah. I it's mean, it's, fucking... it's the nerd, rock nerd part of me that has to know all that stuff. Okay, so I want to know your whole history. Did you grow up in California? No, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, how did how did this all get started? I was, you know, I was just the kind of the standard like Midwestern kid obsessed with rock music and um, wanted to become a musician. Started touring when I was sixteen, and I've been touring ever since. I've just turned thirty, so it's been my my whole adult life. So you started your band in Ohio. I did, and then in those days, it was a situation where because I was a teenager, like it was hard to get people to take it seriously. Yeah. So you have like. There was like 20 people in the band because you'd have somebody who would be like, yeah, I can play in your band for like a weekend and then they'd get a job and then they wouldn't be in the band anymore. Yeah. And for me, like the aesthetic, it was sort of funny. It was like dressing like, you know, car mechanics up in like goth makeup and everything. Just trying to get, trying to build what it was going to be. Something different. And then I moved here. I dropped out of high school and moved here um, right before I turned 18. And then I met the members who have been in the band for the last 11 years. In LA. Yeah. And so what did your parents say when you were like, I'm going to leave school and go be a musician? Were they fucking uh, Yeah, they kind of always knew. Like, you know, that from the time I was a little kid, I grew up, like, I was very fortunate in that as a little kid, you know, my dad was taking me to Motley Crue shows or Kiss oh, shows and all that kind of stuff. So I grew up with it around me and my dad was a singer in bands and um, my mom was very into music and showing me whether it was, you know, learning about singer-songwriters like Carly Simon or Bruce Springsteen or these other things. Um, it was just always around me. And so it was my biggest passion. And then I went to uh, theater school. I went to art school for a little while and was a drama major there. And that's how I kind of got into acting. So, so you liked acting when you were younger, too. Yeah. Were you, did you fit in or were you like a total outcast? No, I was not social and didn't have any friends. I, no my friends. attempt, though, I wasn't. Like, this is probably common, uh, but I wanted to entertain everybody all the time, so I figured if I could make everybody laugh, that would make things better, you know what I mean? But I didn't have any friends otherwise. You're I, like, I'll make you laugh, but get away from me. Yeah. <laughs> it, well, it's just I didn't share anything in common with anybody, you And know? then it's, like, uncomfortable, right? Because you're like, you're, like, the clown. Yeah. And then it's, like, nobody wants to, ha like be best friends with yeah, the clown. They like, like entertain yeah. me, clown, and then go away. I would have loved to have had like a girl talk to me or something as a kid, and that just wasn't part of my life. So, so. no girls fucked with you when you were in a teenager? No, not at all. Not until I got a little bit old. Like I, I, and I was also like kind of a chubby kid. You were chubby? <laughs> You're so skinny. Yeah, I well, uh, so I, I was just like a, a growth spurt thing, I guess. They called me Stop. Chunk. They said I looked I like Chunk from the Goonies. I want to see pictures. 
I need pictures of chubby you. Yeah, they're there. <laughs> they exist. It was sort of weird. I mean, it's one of those things where I, I think it was really important from a formative perspective to be able to like grow up with, like, I don't want to call it like the ugly duckling thing or whatever, but like I wasn't seen as anything as a kid. Yeah. And so I had to build my own like mind palace of things and build my own like things I could enjoy and write songs and comic books and all this other stuff. So I didn't have people telling me that my shit didn't stink from the time I was little. And I think some people that have that where they're just, everybody's like, you're the best. Yeah. You're going to succeed. Like For they, always good looking since yeah. they were little. And it just doesn't really work a lot of the times. Cause they're like, Oh, I'm great. Like I don't need to try. And then ultimately you do have to try. Cause like rock stars, people that are very successful, aren't shit from the sky. It takes work and, you know, the ability to like care about what you're doing. So yeah, I mean, it, it, all things considered, I don't want to be like, oh, isn't it sad that like they called me Chunk when I was a kid? Because like people have been through worse, but it certainly was That's important just for me. Mind blowing to me because you're like a twig now, so it's like a total opposite. I didn't change much. I'm st I'm still. I just have a terrible diet. So. so you're like a fat kid inside. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I eat like if if left unattended, I eat like an eight year old whose parents left for the weekend. Like that's sort of my base level. Wow. So I have to. Uh, credit goes to to my wife because there's been an attempt over the last 10 years to make me eat like, you know, vegetables because wow. I never really ate vegetables. You've been married for 10 years. We've been together for 10 years this summer. We've been married since 2016. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. What's the secret to staying with someone that long? Uh, I just think we're we just work. You know what I mean? Like there's there's so many little things that you could say about people's personality types or whatever it is. But there's just something about in our best moments and our worst moments, whatever it is, like we just fit together perfectly. Mm -hmm. And our personality types are good for each other. We're both maybe, we're both kind of type A personalities, which a lot of times people say doesn't work, but I think it makes us, like we're always pushing each other to do more stuff or have bigger things happen. And because we both work in the same field, like there's, the conversations are always about things that are already known. It's mm -hmm. not like you don't have to explain your perspective to somebody else because we met, she was on the same tour I was. That's how we met. Oh, wow. And so we just always, you know, songwriting, all this stuff. Like, it's just the the conversations are easy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I we we just. You just mash. We're just made made to be together. I that's guess. a long fucking time. Yeah. Ten years. That's yeah. like, especially in L.A. And I was, yeah, I was only eight years old when we met. So it's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're like, I was seven. Yeah. She was six. Yeah. It's yeah. been a dream. <laughs> we, yeah. It's been our entire lives. Uh, no, it, I mean, it is. It is a significant portion because we're young people. Like it's yeah, a significant portion of our life. Yeah, you guys are life, totally but. young. So you like met in your early 20s. Like, yeah. That's nuts. You and know? I, well, I mean, and also the, the thing is like for me, a lot of that was spent like kind of wasted time because in the early part of our relationship, I was. I've always had anxiety and dealt with OCD and this other stuff. Oh, and so the way do. that I've, I've dealt with it was to drink excessively and drugs and everything else. And so in the first part of our relationship, I was kind of like gone a lot. Fucked and up. yeah, and mentally, and I was always on tour. And then when I'd be home, she'd be on tour. And so we almost like, we preserved the first couple of years because we wouldn't see each other that much. Mm -hmm. And so by the time we both kind of grew into the adults that we wanted to become, we were ready to really make the relationship what we needed it to be and commit and get married and everything else. Can we talk about the anxiety and OCD? Sure. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. Um. So I was late today. Do you know how cr freaked out I was in the car just for being no! late to something? Yeah. Stop. I know because OCD, like <laughs> everything has to be perfect. It has, it has to, be to be on the everything top. Everything has to be yeah. right. No, no, I know. I, I, I feel you on that. So when did that start when you were younger? Yeah. I mean, what's interesting about it for me is like when I was really young and I always talk about it, like th there was this thing where... I mean, and it's not the fault of anybody, but when 
when I was a kid, people were just starting to experience like the there's something wrong with the weird kid, right? Like there was, and there needed to be a quantifiable thing that was wrong with you. So mm. I was the kid that wore all black t-shirts and had spiky even when hair you were little. Everything. Yeah, from the time I was like a little kid, I was wearing because wow. my dad would give me all the old rock shirts. Yeah, so. but like even when I was little, it was always about like I dress up in like Batman costumes and go to school. Like I was. <laughs> I would walk around. I I went to like sixth grade in a Alex from a Clockwork Orange costume. That's and, cool. Yeah. But like I was just that person. So there had to be something wrong with me. You know what I mean? So like they, I remember getting told that I had every possible thing under the sun. I mean, they, and the school would test me for uh, like. Uh, Autism. Yeah, of course, everything on the ADD. spectrum. And yeah. And so I was told that I had all those things. And it, what do you do with that information when you're in like sixth grade? And especially at a time where the the process of therapy wasn't as, what kind of wasn't to where it, it is now where it's become more commonplace with people. So I remember going to therapists and, and really not liking it. Like it didn't work for me. The idea of sitting with somebody, in my experience, was them telling me about when they were a kid. And like, they'd be like, oh, I get it. You know, when I was a kid, I was in school. Play, and it's like, I don't with all due respect, I don't give a shit about you or any, like I'm, I'm a kid trying to deal with my stuff. So, and this is not an indictment on anybody in particular. It's just that when I was a kid, it didn't work. And so I figured out pretty early on that I was going to deal with this and I was put on all the medications and stuff. And it just, you were, yeah. And they put you on Ritalin and all that. Yeah. And it didn't really, again, and this is not, this is not for everybody. This is just for me. For me, it it made me feel worse in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And so I started thinking, well, how can I, if this is a thing, and I love comic books, maybe this is like my superpower. Maybe the fact that I'm really obsessed about little things is good. Like maybe the fact that I'm, I can pay a lot of attention to something that I find important is good. And maybe I can use this. And so turning things that were, uh, I was told were things that were wrong with me into things that could help benefit me in the long run, for me worked. And again, this is not like, I'm not saying everyone should do exactly what I do, but that was the case. And so from the early part of my life, that was really the way I handled it was like, I'm just going to do this and I'm going to handle it. And then we started touring Mm -hmm. and somebody was like, would you like whiskey? And I was like, Oh no, not at all. I'm all good. I'm like, you know, and then finally broke me down over time. And I started drinking like a little bit and a little bit more. And I was like, Holy shit, I don't feel any of the stuff that bothers me right now. Makes it all go away. This is great. And when I go on stage, I'm not thinking about it. And like, and it, it just quieted went, yeah, and it led to more and more. And then of course, when you're on tour and you're in a rock band, it's a successful rock band on any level. The availability of those things is, you know, you just need to turn your head and somebody be like, Hey, do you want this? Do you want to go in that bathroom and do this? Do you want to like whatever it is? And for me, I was never really into the, the excess for the excess sake. It was like trying to quiet things. And so I was, I got to the point where it started out fun and we'd be like, yeah, and then it got to a point by and the it became end where, like medicinal. Yeah, I'm just in a hotel room by myself. You know what I mean? And I'm just drinking excessively for no reason. Or like I can't write a song without getting screwed up because I think that that's the way things have to be. And I had a lot of bad advice. Well, on our second record, it's our first major label record. The producer came in the room and said that I sounded better when I was drunk singing vocally. And I was 20 at the time. So I was like, all right. Not even legally yeah, age yeah. of age to drink. He's like, you should get fucked up all the time. So I would I would go get, this is the best. I would, so gross thinking about it. You know those, uh, like Franzia boxed wine, like at oh, Rite God. Aid? So I would get those, I'd get two of those every day and I'd take the bag out of the box because there's a little like- There's a bag in there? It's a bagpipe looking that. thing. So <laughs> oh there's God. a plastic lined bag inside the box. So I would take the bag out 
and then the little spigot, and I'd throw it over my shoulder on each side, and I would sit in the in the console room just drinking, <laughs> like bagpiping, Franzia. Yeah. Oh my god. That was just like starting the day. So I mean, I don't say all this to say like, isn't that great? The point is that there were things that I was I was masking. Yeah. And I I realized over time that I was going to need to deal with the things that were bothering me and and not do that anymore. And so it's been now. The last time I drank was. I think the like April of 2016 or so something. So you're sober. Yeah. All sober. Never did. Uh, and again, you know, I, I feel like I have to put disclaimers because this is a very hard thing for people. Yeah. Some people, you know, therapy and other things are the thing. Some people, AA is the thing. Yeah. For me, it was just, I'm just going to stop doing this now. And I just started putting my obsession into I'm a person who doesn't drink. Mm -hmm. And so for the first couple months, it became like, oh, this is my new characteristic. Like, I'm a guy who doesn't Did drink. Did you get things. sick? I didn't get sick. I so got. You weren't like full blown alcoholic, no, no DTs. I, I never anything. had DTs because I was always a choice. It was okay. never a, I can't function right now. It was like, oh, I'm going to function better if this happens. And then once it started, and it's sort of funny because I can remember like testing it where I didn't drink for a long time. And then I'd be like, oh, I'll have a few drinks. And then I never could do it without blackout. And I was a blackout every time. So I'd lose. Like, I always say that, like, the year of 2015, I lost, like, the vast majority of that year. You would black out every time you drank? Nearly every time. By the end, it was every time. Yeah. Wow. During all this, I'm just, just like Oprah now. I'm just, like, laying no, down I all love, my... I yeah, love uh, it. It's great. People relate to this. I have a, I do a lot of, like, we talk a lot about the mental yeah. health and all that on my podcast. Well, I'm happy you know? to talk yeah. about it because it's, it's it's a reality of, of life. Yeah. But so what happened during all of that was... I was always crazy on stage, and so I would jump off stage, and I broke a bunch of bones in my body through the course of this. Oh and, of God. course, being 22 and on tour and not caring, I would just continue on, not physical therapy, nothing. Just I don't have an 11th rib, but I just never handled it because I smashed them all on stage. Um, You're like, I'll fix that with Seagram's. Exactly, <laughs> and I have many Seagram's tattoos. Oh, my God, do you really? I, I, have, I have two Seagram's Stop, tattoos. Stop, I just said that yes, randomly. I have the big no seven on my tattoos. arm, no Franzia. I, yeah. You have a big boxed wine above your asshole. <laughs> yes, like, yeah, that's is... my that's my tramp stamp is uh, is a full size Franzia. It takes up most <laughs> of my the lower. Without going into your butt, you're like, this oh, is great. <laughs> I love that's it. grosser than I thought. But, I can't yeah. believe you fucking drank boxed wine. It's a weird move, isn't it? It's I could the see move... you drinking like really classy wine called like the Alchemist or some shit like. So that. here's the move though: when you're not when you're not legally able to buy, oh. if you go in there looking for something that is not hard liquor, they right. don't even care. Because they're like, right. oh, who, what, like, no, no, like, teenager wants a box, box of wine. wine. You're like, it's for my mom. Yeah. They're so like, I'd we get it. So I come in and be like, boom, and then they'd never ask. So are like, someone's aunt is thirsty. Yeah. Yeah, it's just ways around the system. But it was for I you. feel like now I'm giving terrible <laughs> advice. Like, that's not, that's not Hey, part. kids, if you're underage and want to drink, just go get Franzia. Yeah. Hey, uh, guess who this podcast is sponsored by? No, oh, is it? Yeah, presented by. <laughs> I just pull out a big box of wine. What is, the, yeah, what's the code for Franzia? Type in code Franzia5. It's your aunt's wasted at whatever. Yep. That's crazy, dude. So I'm happy for you that now, like, you're, you know, clear-headed and everything. And do you yeah. feel better? Yeah. And we both, I mean, both me and Juliet are both in the same position. She got she got sober right around the same time. And so we just decided it was part of our life that needed to happen. And life has gotten infinitely better since. And it was the first year was the hardest part because... You're feeling everything. I was feeling everything. And I, I was, you know, I was getting back to anxieties and fears and obsessions and stuff that I hadn't felt in years because I had just pushed it away. And so I say all that to say that when we filmed American Satan, which is kind of the precursor movie to all this, that was literally within like 
think like a month of me getting sober was when we started doing that. And that character in the movie becomes a heroin addict during the course of the movie. So it was very weird to be constantly emotional and dealing with all this stuff and then playing a person who's not and then playing a person who's then falling into the depths of whatever. Like it was it was kind of a crazy dynamic. So now with Paradise City, the interesting thing is that Ash wound up making Johnny and the necessity of the character, he had overdosed at the end of the movie, making him newly sober. Mm -hmm. So I was playing Johnny newly sober as somebody who was kind of out of the woods with the the crushing fears that come with kind of realizing like, oh, I I lost like a lot of time and I was kind of an asshole and I did this crazy thing or whatever it is. And so to me, like the, the reason I talk about all of it is how important it is for me, like as a friend and, and most importantly as a husband and as a family member and all that stuff to be accountable and responsible and there for my wife, for the people that love me and for my band. Like I wasn't great to be around there. The band was almost done by 2018 um, you know, for, for many other factors. But the fact is I just didn't have the, uh, with it, I didn't have it within myself to have the patience and understanding and everything that you should. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it, look, it's, it's not for everybody. Many people can just drink and have fun for me. It just wasn't a thing. Yeah. And however people get out of that. And again, you know, as far as the, the mental health aspect, what I have taken from all of this is a, a form of spirituality. I was always like an ardent atheist. And finding some form of spirituality and feeling like I'm at least connected to something made things a little bit better because I have what I call main characters disease, (laughs) which is that I'm pretty sure that everything I do and say is the most important thing that's ever been done and said. And therefore, every mistake I make is important to the world. And part of finding in the last couple of years that like I'm just a speck. Like like hopeful nihilism. It's scary, like none of it, it really matters. No. And the deal we've made with the world is that nothing matters. Yeah. And so all you can do is what makes you happy and the people around you happy. It is it is a freeing feeling. Like people get really stressed out during the last year because of the news being so dangerous and scary. Mm-hmm. And in some ways it was almost like I don't want to say cathartic because that sounds like I'm a sociopath, but like it it's not it's it's cathartic in the sense that Everyone's Feel, feeling yeah, anxiety. Feel we're all dealing with mm-hmm. this, and and I'm not as important. Shut up, Andy. You're not really that important compared to the grand scheme of the world. So, yeah, that's that's my whole tangent on that. It is kind of funny that you say that um, because, you know, I feel like in all of our own heads, at least in my head, that I feel the same way. You are the main character in your own story, and you're, like, the most important one, and you're like, oh, like, all this life is happening around me. And it is so interesting to think about, you know, um, we're here right now, but there's been so many years before us of so many people and so many things and so many people who had stories and had interesting stories and were way more interesting than me and like, you know, have lived and died and come and go. And it's just, it's when you really think about it, you're like, what, what impact am I having? Am I yeah. having an impact or not yeah. really? You know, how yeah. quickly do we forget about the dead? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, we think about them, obviously, some of the really big ones, but like most people come and go. Sure. And it's yeah. really, it's really, I mean, that's where my anxiety is. Like I have like death anxiety. Cause okay. I like, I'm kind of like you in a way where I have to know the answers to everything. Yeah. And the fact that we don't know what happens after we die is fucking mind blowing to me. Yeah, it is. It is crazy. I mean, I think, I think I only recently started having the, the realization that I'm going to die. Like, I think that that comes with age anyway, mm-hmm. you know, like, like I said, I just turned 30. So maybe that's just like part of the yeah. deal. Is that I? It's not that I didn't know it. It's just that I never really cared. And then 
it doesn't change my perspective on life at all, but it is it is interesting to go like, oh yeah, like one day you're not you know like I, I got only got this much time presumably left mm-hmm. unless I can somehow unlock the ability to live forever, uh, which you know would that you is the, live forever? Fuck yeah! Anybody who says that they wouldn't is just trying to make themselves feel better about the fact that they're going to die. Yeah. Like, oh, I wouldn't want to live and see everything and lose all my family. Like, I get all that stuff, right? But the ability to be like, I'm going to see everything and experience every technological advancement and everything that happens in society, and yeah. the guarantee I'm not going to die. Like, of course, I would too. My Sign husband says no. If you're a vampire, come on, <laughs> come on down. My husband's like, I've already seen everything. I've already done everything. I've already gone everywhere. I'm like, well, you haven't seen everything. But he's like, he's kind of just like, whatever. Like when he goes, he yeah. goes. He's like, okay with that. And I'm kind of like, for me, I just get freaked out. Because I over, I don't know if you do this too, because you said you have anxiety. Yeah. Do you overthink like being alive sometimes where you're sitting there and like you start to think like, oh my God, I'm alive and like looking at your hand and like looking at, or is this just a me thing? No, yeah, I, I do, do understand I do, that. Yeah. And, I, and by the way, I do want to say, I feel bad because I, I earlier I, I said sociopath. I know that I'm not trying to make fun of any kind of afflictions no, 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 or anything. No, 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 uh, no one cares. We but, get uh, it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, again, it's, it's more of a turn of phrase in that in that situation. But yeah, I mean, I think I do have a conscious awareness of life like we all do. And then it'll snap and then you'll be like, I'm picking up my dog. And I'm like, oh, I'm a living person yeah. picking up my dog. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, cause you look through your eyes all the time, right? Exactly. And this is getting very kind of like, it's sort of funny that like, this is totally like a weed <laughs> conversation right now. But, and we're not know, high. Yeah, we're not just high. having a weed yeah, conversation. Totally having a weed conversation. Um, but like, there are things <laughs> that you can never know. Like the reality of the fact that you're seeing through your eyes and what you look like to other people and that kind of stuff. It, it's it's terrifying. Isn't it about. fucking weird yeah. that you will never see you the way other people see you, which is so fucking strange to me. It is weird. They say that there's... I might not be able to drive home now. I'm just <laughs> going to be in crushing terror all the way, just sitting in traffic. They say that um, there's three different versions of yourself. There's you, who yeah. you know, you're the best, okay? You know and you see yourself so spectacular. You're sure. like, I know my ins and outs and all that. Then the, there's the the second version, which is um, the version that other people see of you, yeah. which is actually the most inaccurate version of you because everyone puts on sort of a facade, whether we like it or not. Right, or, and they don't have any of the information. And really. they don't have any yeah. of the real information yeah. of what goes on inside your head 24-7, and they only see what they see from surface level. So that's like who people see you, and they go, oh, okay, like I kind of know you. I, I kind of think I know you, right? But sure. that's the most inaccurate version of yourself. And then they say the third version is the most accurate version of yourself is that voice in your head, the the voice that kind of narrates your whole life, the one that you're kind of like when you're doing something and you know, you're thinking miscellaneously to yourself, the one that's kind of guiding you throughout the day when you're yeah. just trying to sleep at night and your thoughts are running. That's like the most, it's so creepy to think about. I call about. that uh, the menagerie of regret. Yeah, uh, which is like at night. It doesn't happen now, which is sort of nice. I've been in this weird place where like I've kind of figured it out. But I would say a couple of years ago, I had this weird thing where like I couldn't go to bed without thinking of everything wrong I had ever done. Really? And it was like it was this constant thing. And it was informing. We were writing a record at the time. and It was informing all of my songwriting. Like everything was very regretful and pessimistic. And it was sort of interesting that like because I think that time artistically that time like right before you fall asleep can have all kinds of weird things happen. And then when you wake up, like weird stuff will occur all the time. You know what I mean? I like, hate it. And, I hate and so I it. it gets in your consciousness from an artistic perspective. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's all weird. Do you Look, have crazy dreams? Being alive dreams? is weird, guys. You know, what it's can you weird. do? 
it's weird, but it's weird. great. It's, it's and great. It's, it's literally all we have. Yeah, so, take advantage of it yeah. because we don't know. You know what I mean? And yep. I could get into my weird theories that I do on the podcast where, you know, we've been alive many times and that our souls are, we forget every time, you know, they erase our memory before we, they, whoever they are, whatever. Our memory gets erased when we're born okay. so that we come to earth and our soul has to learn lessons. Okay. And so we're put in this life with all the hard things we go through, whatever. We chose this life, apparently. Okay. Our soul did right. to give us the bright lessons that we needed to, to evolve. I could believe To the it. next level. Yeah. And then when we die, like, we go to wherever, heaven, whatever, and we get a review of our life. Did we learn what we needed to learn? Did we evolve? Did we reach the, the levels that we needed to in, in our spiritual growth? Yeah. And if we didn't, then we get the choice to come back. Yeah. And so then we start all over again. And the only reason why we don't remember the life before is because otherwise we would know we're here for sure, a test. Yeah, yeah, and then it's yeah. like, oh, I'm here for a test. So I got to be yeah. really good. And I got to like, you know, and then you're not really learning because you know everything from before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you, you would be knowing what to prepare for. Exactly. So yeah. you'd know how to evade certain things and whatnot. So. I think I think that that I mean, that's the thing is like you could. You could make the case, and that's what you say. Like the what's what's so interesting about the infinite kind of void of what what is this all about is that you could make the case from an intellectual perspective. You can build these stories yeah. of whether you existed in this timeline or whatever it is, and so it is fascinating. As a kid, it would scare me only in that I would build what I thought were pretty convincing situations that seem very egotistical, but mostly were like anxiety driven, like. I have my podcast is called the Andy show because as a kid, I was obsessed with the idea that, that this was a Truman show scenario about my life and that you manifested everything yes. around and you. So and I would go to like, I remember specifically going to the bathroom in a Michael's crafts. I was like eight years old and thinking, please don't watch me when I'm in here. Like thinking it and like, that's, that's wild. Right. But like thinking like, I know that I'm your, this is all a show about my life. So please don't watch, like, because I saw that movie as a kid, and it really, I joke with one of my best friends, Ryan, because he just showed that movie to his kids. I go, I hope it doesn't have, have the effect. emotional toll that it did on me, where for, like, when I was a real little kid and unable to understand things, I was like, oh, what if, what if this is a show about me? I feel like, like we all kind of have that feeling, though, sure, don't we? Like, yeah. I feel like I'm being watched all the time, and yeah. not, not, like, necessarily by, you know, everyone, but I feel like I'm, like... You know, everyone the great feels streaming service in the sky. You're self-centric. We're all a show. Yes, we're all a show for someone. And then I also get paranoid about like dead relatives when I'm like naked or like I'm like, is my <laughs> grandma here? My okay. grandpa? You know what I mean? Like Hanging I get out? yeah, like my grandpa. Yeah. I'm like sleeping with my husband. He's like, I'm like, oh, grandpa, don't look. You know, I get Boy, like freaked I hope out. That's not the case. I fucking hope not. Yeah. That'd be weird. Your grand grandma's just in the room while you're fucking doing the nasty. It would be very unfortunate <laughs> if any of our grandparents were around. Uh, after they've passed away for just the worst moment. Just watching you do the worst shit. And how unfortunate for them that they've lived their life and were ready for the great beyond and they're sent back here to watch you take a shit <laughs> in, instead of they're any like, kind of I'm eternal. I'm ready for heaven. Then yeah. they get back to you just fucking, just yeah. fucking doggy styling your girlfriend on a bottle of Franzia. It's, it's just me pooping. And they're like, this is it? This they're is like, what wow. I get? Like, don't push so hard. You're going to give yourself a goddamn hemorrhoid. And then it would be even less yeah. so because, like, I, you know, if it was a relative that was a relative of someone else, like, yeah. then, you're, and then their scenario is, like, say say my wife's great-grandmother dies. Right. I've never met her. And she wants she to meet She has to be you. around our house all the time and watch me, like, you know, 
clean up dog poop or whatever it is. She's like, I don't even know this guy. She wants to meet you though. This is she, afterlife. <laughs> like, let me meet the guy that my oh, he's taking yeah. a massive dump. That's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. Wait, was that former Chunk? Is that the guy that they called Chunk <laughs> as a kid? So dead. Um, we're gonna take a quick break and we will be right back with Andy Black on Worst First. We're back. We're back on Worst First with Andy Black. We have here. He's gonna tell us about his worst first tour. Yeah. I well, it, it was. The worst touring experience okay. and the first touring experience. So I started, as I said, when I was really young. Yeah. And so I would put myself at about 15, 16, just turned 16 in the story. Okay. Um, in those days, one of the, you know, this is the MySpace generation. So like oh in those God. days, there was, you could use MySpace as a really cool tool to do what's called show swaps. So in a show swap scenario, it's kind of self-explanatory, but you you're a local band and you've got a location that you can play you contact a local band in like a city two hours away and go if you can get us a show in your spot you can play a show here and you can kind of book little tours that way that's dope so we had found another band that was kind of a similar band to ours and we were going to do like a series of like 10 shows which for a 16 year old at the time like it was like the biggest thing in the world right that's so so savvy go around the midwest doing these show swaps right so at least that's the plan. Um, at the time in the band is myself and my best friend, Chris, who's the same age as me. And then three other guys who are significantly older than us. And we are children basically. And we share no life experience with them. So they're in the band, but like they're going to travel in a separate car and they know like girls in different towns and like we're, and again, we're kids, Yeah. but we we're like, this is going to be our thing. And so I got a Chevy Venture van. Um, I traded in my Geo, purple Geo Metro, which was my first car. Dead. Uh, <laughs> that actually, the keys broke off in the ignition of the Geo Metro. So that I had to keep a key in there at all times and I couldn't lock the doors. Oh, it my topped God. out at 35 and then it would start shaking violently. Stop. So that was a cool car that I had. Uh, purple. Yeah. So I traded that in for a blue minivan. All right. Uh, again, really cool vehicle to have and i tore out all the seats because this is going to be my touring van don't ask me why i tore out all the seats doesn't make any sense if you need people in there (laughs) but i thought we can't get a trailer so we'll put all the gear in here again no experience so i didn't understand you'd have to strap gear down all this other stuff the gear will play into the story later okay so we go the first show is in chicago and we think all right me and chris we just recently got into being cigarette smoking people like that you know like when you're a teenager and that becomes a personality trait is like I smoke cigarettes. I'm fucking hard, yeah. bro. I'm fucking, I've been through it. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm a guy yeah. who smokes cigarettes. And I'm fucking edgy and <laughs> crazy. Don't yeah. fuck with me. So hard to get cigarettes when you're 16. Yeah. So we would go to, uh, in Cincinnati, there's a gas station chain called UDF. And we would go to UDF and stand outside and wait for some like local lunatic to buy us cigarettes. Now, I, I don't understand the thought process behind Two little swoopy bang punk rock kids standing outside of a gas station with cash. What adult is like, hell yeah, kids. And yet every time it works. So we got two cartons of some god awful like, you know, we, it was all about aesthetics. It was like the black label camel or whatever. Dead. like Just yeah. like the gnarliest cigarettes. Yeah. Whatever like looked the coolest on the box. <laughs> Like, no filter or whatever. He's like, what kind do you want? You're like, the coolest box. Yeah, Just pick out the fucking box that looks fucking hard. What's, is there like a black and red, yeah. like rock and roll pick, looking Pick bo- the one that's on fire. Yeah, is there a studded one. box in yeah. there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so we got those. We got two cartons. Oh we're ready God. to go. We have no food, but we brought, we're like, this is all we're going to need. Dead. 
So we go to the first show is in Chicago. We make it to the gig. It is the basement. A lot of these are basement shows, right? But this is the basement of a hookah lounge. Dad. There's no one there except for two girls who know about us through MySpace. And there are four bands on the bill. And the first band is a gentleman who has a like an egg crate, a ukulele, and projection of Scooby-Doo cartoons. What? And he sings the same lyrics for a half an hour in front of the Scooby-Doo cartoons. <laughs> and I'll never forget it because it haunts me like a grandparent. Uh, he haunts It haunts me. It is... I like Star Wars. I like Star Trek. Bring it back. Bring it back. Bring it, bring it, bring it back. I no. like Star. And he does it over and over and over again. So this is my first experience of like, what is a touring show like? And there was two people there. Two no, people I there. I can't. By the time we play, the two people have turned into eight because the other bands are now behind the two people who were there. So now we have a full audience. <laughs> um, we play our set. It's terrible, of course, because we don't know what the hell we're doing. And then we were like, well, we don't know what to do because there's supposed to be other shows. But if this is the way it is every time, we're never going to make any money to get like we didn't. This was not planned. There's no gas money. Like, and by the way, my parents would have helped me with all this. Yeah. But I just didn't tell them what I was doing. Yeah. And tried to be like, oh, it's all good. Uh, I got it. It's a it's a booked tour. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like all teenagers really good at at lying to my parents and me thinking that they believed me. Like the whole, yeah. like, I didn't smoke a cigarette thing. And you're like, they don't know. And, and you then just they, reek yeah. of cigarettes. They totally knew. Yeah. So we're in Chicago now. It's about five hour drive from where I'm from. Maybe a little bit more. And we're like, well, we don't know what to do. So we, we just like, well, let's go to downtown Chicago, whatever that means. Like, we don't know anything about it. But like, it's a city. Let's because we're like, on, we're in somewhere in the Chicago land area. Yeah. So we're like, let's go into the city. And I've got my van. And I've just recently gotten my driver's license. So like, on the road moves don't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> So we go down to, uh, what's the big park uh, where Obama did his inauguration? I've never been to Chicago. It's, uh, I should know, but I don't. It's, I want to say Griffith Park, but that's here. So yeah. it's like a, it's that's, it, I can't remember the name, of it, but it's this okay. big thing. It's where Obama had his inauguration or, or his uh, acceptance speech in 2008. Big, like, giant spot. The middle of downtown Chicago. There's that weird silver orb thing you oh, see. Oh, that's shaped like, like a yeah, bean? Yeah. I've seen that. It's right in that area. Okay. So we're just over there. and We're like, well, I guess like we'll just hang out here until we figure out what to do. Um, the other dudes are in their own car and they've got like girls and things that they're hanging out with. And me and my friend Chris have no one to talk to. And this is like, we don't have smartphones. So we're just like, I think. Should we fuck this bass drum? Yeah, there was, there was like, there were copies of the onion. Remember the onion? Oh my God, was the onion was huge. On, uh, like paper copies. Yeah. Of it. And so we were like, it's the fucking nerd. Like this is supposed to be our first tour. <laughs> and we're just sitting there with two cartons of cigarettes in a park reading the onion. And none of those MySpace chicks wanted to hook up. No, well, so, like, the their offer was, and this is what we were waiting on. Okay. There was a contingency offer of the one girl's birthday party was coming up, like, within the next 48 hours. And she's like, if you can stay in Chicago, I can get my dad to pay you to play this birthday party. Stop. So we're like, nope, sounds <laughs> like good. MTV's <laughs> My Sweet 16. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like, this is this is what we've got. Stop. So, so we're now going to, like, wait around. Um, so we're in this park. I'm like, all right, fuck it. We got to go do something. Like, we don't have any money, but let's go figure out what we can do. We can't just sit in this park forever. Mm-hmm. So I, I parked like on the outskirts of the park and I, I, there, there's four lane roads on the outside of the park. And so I, I start to, I take a right onto the main drag and then I realize that I'm going the wrong way. So like a lunatic, I take a hard left and then immediately I'm crunched by three cars into the side of the van 
Um, oh my god! So the the van is T boned, and the gear that was not strapped down shoots through all the windows on the other side. So now all the windows are broken in the van, and the car is completely dented in the center and undrivable and and dead. Oh my god! This is like three in the afternoon. Did you get hurt? Maybe I don't know. Like <laughs> I was I was a teenager. I had Too a lot much of adrenaline. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> I, That's crazy. So now I'm really screwed because there's I don't have a I don't have a phone. I, oh yeah, no cell phones. I think that I had a phone, but it didn't have like outside of Cincinnati plan. Like I could wow. I could like text and call on. I was like a Nokia. Yeah. So this is like I could only and I think there was one person who had a phone that would work outside, which was one of the older dudes. Yeah. So the older dudes see this happen, stand around with me and feign interest in it for about ten minutes, and then say, we're going to go get help, and then bail. They just left you? Gone. Stop. So Your bandmates? So me and my other 16-year-old friend, Chris, are now in downtown Chicago. It's 3 in the afternoon. We have no money. We have two cartons of cigarettes. We have a totaled car and all of the money in the world that we have worth of gear on the ground. I The woman in the car that hit me gets out screaming at me. Naturally, I'm at fault. What are we going to do here? Do you have insurance? Yes, I think so. I have AAA. Let me call. Like, I can, you know what I mean? I can't figure out what to do because I'm it's my first accident. Wasn't it three cars that ended up hitting you? Yes. But the, so it so was the first out? car got the the brunt oh. of it. And then the car, the two cars behind just did a little fender bendery thing. And yeah. to be honest with you, I have no idea what happened to them. Like they to this day, away. I have no idea. <laughs> They're all, we don't have insurance. They the, yeah. The away. only person who gave us an issue was the person who first hit us. Yeah. And she was very mad at me. And yeah. now as an adult, I understand. But as a kid, I was like, lady, please. I'm a child. Yeah. <laughs> Can you please understand? You're like, I'm smoking these cigarettes and might think you yeah. think I'm 35, but I'm 16. I have never been anywhere in this situation. Yeah. I've never been in a car accident. I don't have any ability. Like, I don't have the wherewithal socially to yeah. talk to you about this. Were you a virgin still? No. Okay. Uh, no. <laughs> so at least there's that. There's that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I mean, that that's, that's the one. I told her that. Yeah. I said, look, I'm not a virgin. That's the one saving <laughs> no, grace didn't. here. Um. So, so she's pissed. She's pissed at me. Uh, my friend doesn't know what to do. We're trying to pick up the gear or whatever. We finally, I mean, like, it's one of those things where I was so young that it was just such a, like, red hot moment of craziness that I don't have a lot of vivid memories of, like, the accident and then the moments after. The next thing I really vividly recall is getting all the gear and putting it up into the park because that's the only recourse we have. And then standing by the van. And it's starting to get dark outside. And... We're like, well, what the hell are we going to do? Like, we don't have any money for a hotel. We don't know how we're going to contact our parents. Oh, my God. It seems like the other guys are never coming back. So we just sit in the park as the sun goes down. And then a homeless gentleman comes up and says, hey, guys, I know I will. I see you got those cartons of cigarettes. And he's very like the pitch is perfect. I see you got those cigarettes. There's a lot of dangerous people around here at night. I will protect you you can give me those cartons of cigarettes. And we're like, oh, will you? So we give them our cartons <laughs> of cigarettes immediately because we're like, we don't know what to do. Like, so now our only our only bargaining ship we have is gone. He bails immediately. So now we're not protected by him. We've lost our cigarettes. We're children sitting on a stack of broken no! amplifiers in a, in a park. And uh, I, have, I have called AAA, I think. Oh my God. But I haven't heard back. <laughs> so then... Uh, a tow truck comes. Okay. And in my experience, a tow truck that comes for your car is one that is meant to be there. Yeah. So I, as a 16-year-old, said, oh, the tow truck's here. 
and I help talk to the guy, and they take the car, get it up on the truck. Then about 20 minutes after that guy leaves, the AAA tow truck comes. <laughs> and I go, hello, uh, we already got, we're all good. He goes, did you let somebody else take the car? Yeah, the other tow truck. He goes, no, that was a fake tow truck. Stop, a fake tow truck? And then he proceeds to explain to me that there's a big problem in Chicago where people have bought tow trucks and will come take a car and you think it's your tow truck, but really they bring it to a shop and strip it for parts and get rid of it. And so now, oh my god, my, my van is gone, my cigarettes are gone, my band is gone. I have no way out. This is horrible. It really is. Ew. Uh, so, so what do you do? You don't even have a phone. You have we just nothing. start walking. Stop. Yeah. And I think well, that, I guess we'll just walk. I think at some point, like the girlfriend of one of the other members showed up, like one Were of the you older starving? guys. Yeah, and they'll and she maybe was like, "Hey, I heard you guys got abandoned." I don't even know how it happened, but someone who was slightly older than us advocated for us to go walk the streets of Chicago to find a hotel that we could make a call in the lobby to our parents. Oh my god! So now the very embarrassing thing happens where I have to call my parents and go, "Hey." So I'm in a park and uh, the van is gone and everybody left me and all of our gear is broken and he should come get me and I lost all my cigarettes. <laughs> like it's all good. They're like, did you say yeah. cigarettes? You're like, yeah. fuck. I mean, I mean, I lost, I lost all my. Yeah. yeah, I lost all my onions. Yeah. Um. So then, I think what happened was, we were able to call my parents. My parents called the hotel and like, you know gave him a credit card number to get us a hotel room for the night so me and Chris could sleep there. And then my dad got there in the morning Aww. and picked us up. Is your dad cool? Very cool, yeah. And your mom's cool? Yeah, they're they, like my best friends. Are they so. still together? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Are you an only child? Yes. Oh, so they were like, okay, we'll take care of you, kid. Yeah, I I mean, look, there, there's certain, uh, there are great things about being an only child and that I was the only center of attention. The bad thing is no shared experiences. Yeah. Like there's no one to talk to about like, hey, remember when dad did this thing? I'm just in an, in an empty room at that point. You're just like, by yourself, yeah. imaginary friend. I'll try to call my cousins like, did you guys remember anything? They're like, dude, we barely hung out with you. Or And, and I always, I, I tease my parents like when they get old, like you've really saddled me with quite a bit here. Yeah. Because like I've got a, I'm the only, I'm the only one. You're strapped. But I'm fortunate because I, I, again, situations like that, like, they could just come get me and take care of it. And it ended in the most embarrassing way possible. It started with me striking out on my own for the first time to be a rock star and ended with me sitting in the passenger seat of my dad's car, having lost my van. Did your dad give you like a talking to, or was he kind of like, this is what happens? Sometimes. I think he was probably upset. Yeah, because your car was gone. You know, the you're car fucking... being gone. But I think he was more mad about someone stealing my car. I think eventually yeah. they tracked it down. Like where it was, but who knows at that point. I never got the van back. Whoa. That's fucking crazy, dude. But out of that, I got the uh, 86 Cadillac Eldorado that I lived in when I first moved to LA. So that was wow. a, nice, a nice way. Wow. There you go. That's way cooler than a Chevy van. Atoning for it, yeah. Um, That's a fucking crazy story. Did, were you dropped out of high school yet at that point? Did you drop out and No, go I just on wasn't store? going. I just, just office based like, high school. Did your parents care? I think they thought I was going for some of the time. Like I would sometimes go, I would drive to the Dunkin' Donuts near school and just sit and eat, like smoke cigs and eat donuts and then wait for school to let out. And then that way the truancy officer didn't know that I wasn't there. And that worked for a while. Really? And I think at some point they got a call and they're like, hey, Andy hasn't been in school in like eight months. <laughs> 
And I'm, they're like, he isn't? I'm like, yeah, I'm not going. Like, I didn't go to school like my whole senior year. Yeah. I was just like, I have depression. They were like, okay, yeah, stay home. It was like a couple kids in my school had like killed themselves. So they oh, were like, see, oh, yeah, yeah, you stay home. That's <laughs> not good. Take care of yourself. So I just stayed home. I'm if just, you end up in a situation where there's like a legitimate, re- mine was yeah. just like, I don't want to do that. No, like, I was just so depressed. Plus, I'm not a morning person. Are you a morning person? No. I don't think anybody really 6 is. 6 a.m. I think some people pretend. 8 a.m. Go to school. Learn. Eat yeah. pizza. It doesn't even make sense because they say that when you're a teenager, especially your body needs the most sleep. Yes. So it is a little cruel. But so I, I, uh, I was given up on by school long before I gave up on it. Like by the time I was, uh, in my senior year of what would have been my senior year in high school, I was put in a trailer about two miles off of the school campus with like the breakfast club miscreants. Stop. Like, you were like that kid. Yeah. And, this is, honest to God, the final lesson plan that I was given when I decided that I was like, all right, well, we're done here. Like, there's nothing further. It was, and this is real, compare and contrast the patriotic songs of Toby Keith and Alan Jackson. This was a, a senior in high school assignment. Like, I was like, all right, we're done. Like, what there's the nothing. Fuck? There's nothing to be gleaned here. That's so weird. Yes. We also just watched I Am Legend twice all the way through <laughs> one day. They're like, this is a historical film. <laughs> Yeah, they gave up on us. Like, they didn't, they were like, these kids are idiots. Like, they're they not. They always give movies to you guys. Like, yeah. they always give to the bad kids. They're yeah. like, just give them a movie. Like, let them fucking chill out for a second. That was it. We would sit in front of computers from the 1940s. Yeah. And pretend like, bing, bonk, boop, like whatever, oh and pretend God, we were doing something. Oh, my God, those old Apple computers yeah. that fucking all you Green can, lines. Yeah, just so bad. And I don't even know what the programs that we were supposed to be doing on there were. And then I remember, like, we were like prisoners. Like, we yeah. would get, we would get, like, yard time for an hour. Because it wasn't Death. recess. So, and it's not like there would be anything to play with. Yard time. So it's like. The fucking tetherball. Yeah. Beat the shit out of each other. There's like 14 kids, all of whom are like the bad kids. (laughs) And we just go stand outside. Like we don't get along. So it's just weird. You just hate each other. So you didn't have a girlfriend in high school. I did. Uh, I had several, all of which uh, did not work out clearly. (laughs) Did you go to your proms or no? No, I went to homecoming at one of the schools I went to with my buddy and we did like the funny, like, uh, we're crazy guys. Yeah. And, like we put like action figures as corsages or whatever. And it's like, yeah, really cool. We had, he had a, the flash action figure and I had Batman. Oh my God. Yeah. Super cool. <laughs> super cool. You know, what's really weird is that you seem super smart. So it's kind of interesting. Like, I feel like you would be the kid. That... I have fooled you greatly. Then. No, but if you, you seem think I'm really smart, smart, it's all a parlor trick. Really? I'm just, it's just vocabulary. Okay. I just listen to vocabulary tapes. You're just like a parrot. No, I, I, I. The truth is, I, I always felt like I understood concepts really well, and so I feel like the school system in general it fails people in many ways. Some people find great education in traditional schooling, but to me, I felt like the things I was interested in, I excelled at learning about, and the things yeah. I didn't care about, I couldn't make myself care. Yeah. Like the example I always give is every single one of us that went to school in the United States at a certain age, you had to spend like four days learning about the Magna Carta. And at no point later in your life has that ever come up. And yet many other things that maybe you picked up through going home and watching TV and learned about a reference point or a band or a cartoon or whatever it is, like those are things that are usable information. And so, stuck with you. Yeah. So I just, I, it sounds funny to say, but I'm a big believer in like pop culture learning. Like yeah. just taking in things and understanding yeah. things that way. I feel like we're learning about too much dumb shit in school that's never going to fucking matter. And then everyone's just like, what the fuck is the point? You know? Can I ask you a question? Did, were you, did you have to learn cursive? Yes. Did they tell you when you were learning cursive that 
everyone writes in cursive after the time that you learn yes it. they were like, like as an adult adults, yes. everyone writes in cursive all adults if you want to be a real adult you have to learn how to write in cursive dude i can't even tell you the last time that I wrote in cursive. Just a signature, which doesn't look like any letters anyway. We all went, ah, fuck it, and just like made it's or just whatever. A scribble. Yeah, if you're signing a check or whatever it is, like it's just man. Isn't that funny and how hard we had to learn? And I remember being so mad because some of the cursive letters looked nothing like yeah. the print letters. And I was like, what is that Q? I just made up my own. Like <laughs> I like my B is just a, like a woo. Like it's just I just took <gasps> a B and then did like a woo around it. That's all it is. That's amazing. I love it. Dude, this has been really fun. Thank you. I've loved having you here. Thanks for having so, me. So like what's happening? You have a book out that's about your life, right? I do. I have a book out. I didn't even get to like ask you really like if anything traumatizing happened to you when you were younger, which I love to ask people, but we'll get to that next time maybe. We'll do another Yeah, one. I mean that it feels like we got into some of it. Yeah, a little bit. But, but you so I watched an umpire die at an MLB game, you know. <laughs> that's in the book. He had a heart attack. He did right in front of me. Right in front of you. Yeah, it was that's like five. the scariest thing ever yeah. to watch people die. It was very confusing because the game ended, and then they're like, "Well, okay, we're gonna." That's the end of the game. He and died so like, at all, the end yeah, of the game, or he died, he died and then they ended it. Was like it. an ending into the game. I was like five, and then they made us all leave the stadium. But I remember telling, asking my dad, like, "Hey, that's not like that's not a part of." Baseball games, is it like that's not going to happen again? You're next like, because I'm otherwise I don't want to go. Yeah, because I'm I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of yeah. sad. Yeah, that's in the book. Uh, Did so, you yeah. see him fall over? Yeah, it's terrible. John McSherry. I subsequently I didn't know his name at the time. Have I wasn't you seen like more shame. dead bodies? Not that I know of. I mean, who? How do we really know? I mean, like watching grandparents die or whatever. Oh Have yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's actually sort of it's it kind of is it's i, I guess i could tell this story it's yeah, kind tell of it. it involves in a weird way involves your husband it does uh yeah the the you've watched my husband die and come back to life i have not it doesn't involve his dead body but so we the biggest song that we've had in our career and like our first gold record was a song called in the end which i wrote about the death of my grandfather Aww. and he died while I was on tour with Motley Crue in Europe, and it was a really cool tour, and we were so excited to get to do it, and we're in these stadiums, and it was like a big deal for us. And he died right in the middle of that tour, and so I had to end up going home because I'm very close with him, and it was just like, it was one of those like push and pull situations where I just had to go. And this kind of goes to like weird things in life, but um, I remember going to the funeral and like seeing his... It was open casket, Catholic funeral. It freaks like, me out. Yeah, I know Catholic too. I know. I remember like touching my grandma. Like yeah, I was like, I so do they it. don't like, feel real. It didn't. I was. I was kind of like I was sad, but I was kind of okay until I saw that, and I was like, nah, that's look right. And by the way, how could you ever explain that? With that, I mean, I don't mean to make light of this, mm. but how could you ever explain that process to anyone? So, no. uh, what we like to do is we like to turn everybody into a stuffed animal after they yeah. die, and then display it for everybody. Like it's the most bizarre. If we weren't culturally used to it, it would be impossible to explain to like an alien. Like there's a job called the mortician where they turn people into wax figures. I had a girl on this podcast who's really fucking hot, and she's a mortician. Really, and she told me about it. My first serious girlfriend's father was a mortician, it's and he hated me. So creepy what they do. The things they put in your eyelids, the little things have spikes on them, and then they pull your eyelid over to keep your eyes shut. Anyway, go ahead. So you saw your grandpa. Anywho, so I saw him, and then I wound up writing a song about that whole thing. And then the really bizarre thing was uh, the, he had written a eulogy for his father when his father died that I had never seen. And it happened, I was two years old when his father died. I had never seen the eulogy. And then I, after his funeral, my grandmother showed me the eulogy, and I had already written my song. And it's like like almost line for line 
lines are lifted directly. Like the lyrics to my song are almost the same as his eulogy. And you've never, and you never saw never it. Never saw it, never knew about it. So it's like one of those weird things where it's like, I associate that, like the seeing of that at the funeral within like the kind of like magic weird thing that happened with the song. And then I suppose if we're talking like kind of bringing this whole thing full circle to the spirituality, like kind of thing, that is like that moment where every time we play that song live, there's like a feeling of like there's a presence here. And did that kind and of he's change. not watching me poop, he's watching me perform. Yeah, the good stuff. Yeah. And that kind of changed you from being uh atheist. Yeah, I mean it was one of the many things. It's just hard. I, the thing that changed me from being an atheist was driving on the five freeway and seeing a sign that said paid for by the atheist coalition. And I was like, surely you guys don't need to get together. Like if if the belief is there's nothing, you don't need to have a coalition. Why do you have to push it yeah. so hard? Like, yeah. Why do you that's if it's church. nothing, you shouldn't care. You, should you be guys like, oh, know that that's nothing. church, right? Like yeah. getting together to talk about a belief system church, is church. Yeah. So it yeah. was like, it just started to feel really weird. And I still identify as someone who has non-theistic belief. Like I don't believe in God, but it's very hard to label myself. It's just so like. You're just spiritual. Yeah. And there's just like a, like a perceived like Hollywood edginess to like, it like nothing matters. And it's like, yeah, but there's a hope within the nihilism that I like to see. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm hopeful, you know. Weird shit happens and you're kind of like, hmm, that's interesting, you know? None of us will know. We'll all find out one day. But Yeah, and hopefully next time you're pooping and your grandma's there, <laughs> you can she'll maybe put a hand out and then you'll go, there is oh life after God. death. Oh, my God. It'd be so crazy. We can make a whole movie about it. We can get some, Robert Dude, Redford can play my grandpa or something. <laughs> I've, I've had so many, I've had people on here who have technically died and come back and they say their stuff, so... You know, they say like they, you feel yourself, mm. you're, you're held to your body by like a thin thread. I don't like it. I don't you, even want to know about it. You don't want to know? Okay. <laughs> no, I'm not no, gonna go tell ahead. You. I just saying it freaks me out. It does. Thinking it does. about life too much freaks me out, but I do it all the time. That's part of my anxiety. But anyway, I've only had one moment in my life where I thought I was dying. Really? Like, when? We were in the, the 8.9 earthquake and tsunami in Japan in 2010. Oh shit. We were in soundcheck when the, the earthquake hit and we came out of the building and we were in Shibuya and there was two buildings that like as far away from like me to the end of this room, I saw the ground split. And then there was, I'll never forget. There was an H and M and a forever 21, which made me laugh. Cause it's such like an American thing. Yeah. And they kinked snapped into each other and then snapped back. And then all the telephone wires started spinning. And it was just like, it felt like a disaster movie. And I consciously had the thought, Oh, I'm gonna die. Oh like and not and not in a way of like, oh, I hope I don't die. It was like, oh I'm going to like die. this is the ground is splitting in front of me. Like everyone's crying. The world is destroyed. There's a tsunami coming. Like, how do I make it out of this? What did you do? We played a show. What? <laughs> I know it sounds funny. But so we didn't know what to do. Everyone so all right, this is now this is a whole other story. <laughs> I've never told this story. Uh, okay, it's okay. So I'll I'll try to condense it quickly because this is gonna be the longest episode of your show of all time. <laughs> it is gonna be long, um, it's good. So there was all the kids in line were already at the show. Like not all of them, but a fair number of people were a already at the show. A couple fell into the hole. <laughs> Nobody fell into the hole. The aftershocks start and then there's like a lull, and then all transportation was shut down. And there was no way to get out for all these kids. So there's a lot of them already in the venue or they're in line. Yeah. So we made the crazy ass decision to play the show for them anyway because they were stuck. Oh my God. And it, we were told that it would be another like couple hours before any major aftershocks hit. So we were told you should play the show and we're like, okay, I guess. Everyone in the venue is crying the whole time we're playing. <laughs> You're like, wow, we, we're really good. None of us can speak Japanese, so no. we can't console anyone. Yeah. 
People don't even know if they have homes. Oh, They're no. at the show, just tears, and I'm like, rock. But yeah. I can't, and then so between songs, I'm going like, I'm so sorry. No <laughs> one can understand me. And like, we try, we're oh, trying to do different no. things. Like, could you bring out the, could you do a guitar solo? And like, <laughs> does anyone have puppets? Yeah. <laughs> we're just, just trying, trying to entertain. make things happy. And so then that ended. And then we had to walk back to the hotel. And while we were walking, the aftershock started again. And it was the weirdest thing ever because, have you ever been to Tokyo? No, so I've never been to Japan. In in Tokyo, there's like more people than you've ever seen per capita, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and there's that one famous crosswalk that everybody sees where there's like a million people going in different directions. At night, that night, all the lights were on and everything was still like operational, but there was no one on the streets except wow. for us. So we were like, it was like I Am Legend. We were just walking around. You're like, good thing I watched that seven times yeah. in school. And then we were stuck in a hotel for two weeks. And then we tried to take off in a plane, and as we were taking off, another aftershock hit, and the plane smacked back down into the ground. So then we were grounded. It was a whole thing. And then we oh flew through the Joplin tornado a month later, and then we were almost in a hurricane in Istanbul. No, an earthquake in Istanbul. I would never go anywhere. With me, certainly. never. I wouldn't <laughs> go anywhere if I was you. I'm just, I'm already scared of going places as it is, but that's terrifying. It's like I'm good now, though. Like, the, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like the, the, the You're balance. You're can't happen twice. Yeah. Like... I genuinely have a totally false sense of that safety. Like, like it can't happen again. <laughs> You're like, this is my show. This is my say what happens. I'm not dying yet. That's you amazing. have to you have to see where it is a little confusing for a person who has main characters. Yeah. Disease. Yeah. You're like, when, the main like, character can't die. I'm part of all these major plot lines yeah, in the yeah. earth. Yeah. Like I was part of an earth situation that moved the continent that like moved Japan. Yeah. Eight feet closer to the United States. Like it moved. Clo- That's how big the the thing was. Did you see the wave? Oh yeah. Was it well, gnarly? I mean, when we saw the craziest thing was there's a sign for Disneyland from the airport to the hotel that we were staying at, and when we came back days like three weeks later, whenever we were allowed to leave and go to the airport, there was the sign. The sign was gone except for like Mickey's hand, and it was like it was. It felt totally surreal and like Fucking dystopian weird. future. Yeah, but we've s- subsequently gone back to Japan, and Japan's wonderful and. We're just so sorry that happened. Damn, dude. Fuck. Well, you're a pretty strong person because I would never go anywhere again. Or, or just have no choice. Yeah, or just have to tour. Life. That's it's, all, life. it's literally all we have. Yeah, you can either live in fear or you can... Die in fear. Die in fear, I guess. Fear is right? all it is. It's what it is, right? <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Um, fuck, that was amazing. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you. Thanks and, for having and guys, watch Paradise City if you want to see more of Andy. And the, it's just such a good show. It's really entertaining. And uh, it's, like I said, on Amazon Prime. And then they get, if they want to get your book... They don't need to understand. Available everywhere books are sold. Uh, new Blackfoot Brides record coming out very soon. Single out Scarlet Cross. A lot of things. Lots of things. Go follow him on Instagram at Andy Black. And we will see you next week on another episode of Rose Friends. <laughs>